Good to see you. If you're new here, uh, my name is Joel. I'm one of the, the leaders here in the church, and we have teaching from the Bible every week here at Emmanuel. We're uh, starting, as Stephen just mentioned, we're starting today this short series of messages to kick off the year through January called Thrive, where we want to really look simply at how individuals can flourish, um, how, how we can get the most out of life, very simply. And so uh, the Bible has plenty to say on that, and we're going to start today with a, a short reading from 2 Peter, which is right near the end of your Bible, if you have it with you. Peter is one of Jesus' close friends, one of his disciples, and uh, he wrote a couple of letters that we have in our Bibles. It's uh, 2 Peter chapter 1 I'm going to read to you from, and verse 3 to verse 9. So we'll be reading there in just a moment. Uh, before we do that, a couple of quick things. I wanted to uh, endorse strongly what Stephen mentioned before the break, our prayer and fasting fortnight. Very simply, if you are a human being, you need to pray. I think that covers most of us here. Uh, there's, there's absolutely no way you can do life well without seeking God. And so to imagine going into 2019 without deliberately prioritizing prayer is mindless. And I, I want to urge you to take it that seriously. When we say get to prayer meetings, we're not saying here's an option for people who are interested in prayer. We're kind of saying to survive, be a prayerful person, uh, to survive spiritually for sure, but frankly to survive in any way is God's grace. And so we need to be in touch with God. And as a people, as a community in the city, we take prayer so seriously because we take God seriously. So I urge you to prioritize it, be at some of those gatherings. The one on Friday, by the way, it starts at 5.30, but that's actually uh, a time of giving hot dogs to kids uh, because we're going to have the 6 o'clock till 7 o'clock one with our children there. If you, so I, I recognize that probably most of us in this service do not uh, fit that category. Either you're not the sort of people that would particularly snap up a hot dog at that point of the day, or you don't have kids that you would bring who are that age. Um, please come at eight o'clock, all right? You don't have to come and watch the children's prayer meeting. It's still good, um, but uh, you might feel a little bit like, why did I come to this? Come at eight o'clock if you're coming on Friday. We would love to pray with you on that uh, meeting, the Wednesday or the Friday. Join us for, for those, please, uh, on the Tuesday morning if you can. That's, oh, the other thing, I said two things. Uh, we're back with the live lunch, uh, YouTube, uh, Instagram live and podcast, uh, which we bring out weekly now. We gave it a break just over the New Year's weekend, uh, New Year's week, um, but we're back doing that from Tuesday. Uh, it will be live lunch for the difference because it's during a week of fasting, so that we'll basically we'll be eating air, but, um, but we'll be definitely talking about the, the content of this message if any of you have questions, any of you have thoughts that, that uh, strike you from it, by all means get in touch with us. We could deal with some of those in discussion online um, or questions on anything. We'd, we'd love to just keep it going as a, as a busy context for discussion. It's only a half hour uh, quick live get together online, but it's, it's, it's becoming really uh, useful and helpful for people. Join us if you can. Tuesday lunchtime at uh, 12. 30, I think, 12.30. I've suddenly had a glitch because I've forgotten because we've uh, been through Christmas and my brain's shut down. Uh, but it's, it'll be all right. 12.30, I think, is right. If it's not, um, someone will correct me. Okay, this is what Peter has to say to us. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him 
who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Let's just briefly pray together. Father, we want to ask you for your help now because these words uh, from ancient scripture could just bounce off us with, without your help, without the powerful help of the Holy Spirit, who you promised to send to lead us into truth, to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment to come, to take what belongs to Jesus and to make it known to us. And so we turn to you hopefully, longingly, and uh, Lord, confidently, because you've invited us. You've said, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So we draw near in our hearts and say, speak to us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, there's a word in here uh, that you hopefully will have noticed that, that uh, we use in a certain context uh, in 21st century Brighton that probably Peter, when he wrote this, didn't quite have in mind. It's the word corruption. So he talks about uh, being able to escape the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire, corruption. When you and me hear the word corruption, we tend to imagine, uh, I guess, kind of political shenanigans, you know, the White House or, or Putin or some big multinational that doesn't do its tax properly or something that, that's kind of shifty and underhanded. That's corruption. Corruption is what happens out there. And it's what happens in the kind of corporate world, the political world. The word literally it means something much more earthy, much more physical and concrete, something much more close to home for all of us. It simply means decaying. It means kind of organic rottenness. It's, it's really what happens, it's what's by now probably happened to your leftovers of Christmas turkey, corruption. It's, it's by the way, it means you shouldn't be eating it right, right now unless you put it in the freezer or something like that. But, but generally speaking, stuff that you leave rots, stuff that's, 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 you know, that's organic, it, it gradually corrupts. Corruption is in the world. It shouldn't be in the world. It's not what God intended for the world. God didn't intend for things to become corrupt like that. The Bible says that this was introduced into God's world, not by God, but in fact, the very verse that I'm referring to tells us corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Sinful desire. Now, that's not God. God doesn't have any sinful desires. That's me and you. 
Corruption is in the world because of humanity's legacy of betrayal against God. We are the ones who've invited this corruption, this rottenness, this death into the world. And it's, it's such an insipid kind of reality. It seems so inescapable, because it is inescapable, that I think it, it becomes the, the kind of unspoken, kind of almost invisible backdrop to a lot of our New Year energies to improve ourselves. A lot of the, the, the atmosphere that comes upon the city um, and the culture and on us individually when it comes to January the 1st and 2nd and 3rd and the first you know, two or three weeks of January, there's this atmosphere of I've got to improve myself. I've got to, I've got to do better than last year. And we you know, download the, the podcasts and we, we look out for some of the self-improvement videos on YouTube, some of the motivational speakers. There are various outlets and various, you know, even uh, paperbacks and, and various advisors that have all kinds of wisdom on how to, how to get the most out of your year, how to do better than ever before, the best you, the new you for a new year. And we, we, we kind of latch on to a few of these and many of them will be full with, with all kinds of smart advice and, and very practical wisdom, often based on very sharp observations that well, yeah, it's worth, worth learning from, worth taking seriously. You may find some of these things have been practical in your life in the years gone by. But I, I, I have to say that the problems they solve are relatively skin deep. If, if, if those kinds of voices of wisdom, those kinds of self-improvement techniques get you anywhere, where they get you is not far enough to deal with the the problem of corruption that Peter's describing here. The corruption problem is, is too deep, and it's the one I'm afraid that's probably underneath a lot of our other motives. Because of course we want to improve ourselves. We hate the fact that life is draining away. It's corrupting. We hate the fact that Christmas has come and gone again so fast. The year is already upon us, this new year, and, and I'm getting older and life's going faster and I still haven't done a tenth of the things that I thought I'd do, not even a hundredth of the things that I would have dreamed of doing. My bucket list is kind of just as long as it ever was and it's now 2019. And This, this, this can feel like a pretty sorrowful kind of song, if you like, that, that, that takes up our time and our thoughts and we, 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 get, we get quite stuck in this mentality of how, how am I going to defeat the problem of corruption? The fact is that if, even if I do do really well this year, I haven't dealt with corruption. I might run a marathon. Well, my corruption runs with me. I can't run away from it any more than I can run away from my shadow. It's just there, this problem of evil, sinful desire that's in the world that that causes a spiritual and ultimately even a, a biological death that was never God's plan, but it's something that's come in. And, the, and life can seem, therefore, impossible. Because how can we even win at this life? Even the most, the most efficient, the most effective, the most fruitful people in the world, they, they, they in the end, are going to be subject to the same corruption 
and, and if they are forgotten within a few generations, then I definitely am as well. This is a, a dark theme that Peter's talking about here when he talks about corruption. And the Bible talks about it pretty bluntly in quite a lot of places consistently. It's, it's trying to help you and me to see the real things, the real issues, to, to not be conned. So some of the, 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 the ways the Bible talks about corruption are, are kind of more pictorial. It's kind of vivid images, like, like in Isaiah 28, verse 20, where the, one of the prophets of the Old Testament, he puts it like this. this. This is a vivid way of putting it. He says this, the bed is too short to stretch oneself on and the covering too narrow to wrap oneself in. That's a kind of familiar idea, isn't it? If you ever tried to crash on a friend's sofa and it's just not been long enough and you try desperately to flatten yourself out and feel comfortable, but you actually get robbed of your seat. You can't rest because the bed is too short. Or maybe the, the cover, the duvet is just too short. It's cold and whatever you do to try and snatch a slight moment of comfort, you can't because it, whatever part of your body you're, being, you're covering, you're not covering another part. And it just, it just defeats you. And the whole night is just turning over and trying and trying, but never really resting. And Isaiah, he's using that image to describe forever for the human race that has turned away from God in sinful desire. He's saying that's the result of sinful desire. If, if you nourish and nurture in your heart desires that are not for God, if the thing you desire most of all in life really is not God, then you are destined spiritually, emotionally, in every way for an eternity of that never, ever feeling comfortable, able to rest, never Ever, ever. Yeah, Isaiah's talking about hell. He's talking about being deprived forever of the true spiritual rest for which you were created and de being deprived of it because of our own sinful desires, choosing against it, depriving ourselves of it. So when Peter talks about corruption, he's talking about that, that very real threat that we might, we might actually never find true contentment, and still spend the, the start of every year trying to improve, trying to better ourselves, trying to try various techniques and programs and schedules and diets and workout routines and time management uh, uh, plans, whatever, because I've, I've got to improve, I've got to improve. And, and by all means do, but, but please don't imagine that by doing that you're going to find your way out, you're going to escape corruption. That's not the way, because actually Peter right here He's telling us the way. He's reminding us in the words I read to you, the only way. <laughs> the only real way there is for us to escape corruption. And he, he's, he's described it in a few different ways in those, those complicated religious sounding words that I read to you. What he, he kept saying to us really was that the way that we actually escape the corruption of this passing age is through the one person who has done it for us. It's as simple as that. There's one person, one man who is God in the flesh, a person who is both God and man, who 
on our behalf and for our sakes, lived the perfect life that we should have lived, died a death to pay the penalty for the sins that we've committed, that took the punishment that we should have taken, and rose again and ascended forever and ever to live as a man, as a human being in heaven on our behalf, as our representative. And, and because of him, therefore, Peter's able to say, his divine power has granted to us. Granted is an interesting word. Granted, given, not alone. All right, many of you undergraduates, you know the difference only too painfully. Grants and loans, very different. No, his divine power, he hasn't paid us this. It's not something we earned. It's a grant. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them, you, he's talking to people just like us. He's talking to us, really. All those centuries ago, right in this letter, he's talking to people like me and you who wake up on January the 1st thinking, how am I going to better my life? What am I going to do? What's life? What's it all about? What's it? Where's it all going? What can I achieve? Is there, is there any point in me getting out of bed? Ordinary people who, who hear those questions going off in their brain and answer them with all the wrong answers and come up with all kinds of desperate attempts to, to make ourselves valid and important and meaningful and build a, a version of reality that's built around ourselves and our own sense of centrality to everything. And he says, yeah, people like us, with all of our hang-ups and sins and failings and stuff we're ashamed of from 2018, all of that stuff, people just like that are the ones that get granted, given as a free gift, these great and precious promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Through them, through the promises that God gave to his son, they're not my promises. I don't deserve the goodness of God. I don't deserve forgiveness. I don't deserve the loving kindness of a heavenly father. I don't deserve to be brought back into his family and have a party thrown for me and a ring put on my finger and a garment covering me and, a, and whatever, all the rest. I don't deserve the, the wealth and the riches and the honor and the kindness that God has been pleased to give to his son. But because he has been pleased to give it to his son, he's pleased to give it to me as well by grace, by a granting of these things. A very, these very great and precious promises are mine because they're Christ's. If I belong to Christ, if I put my trust in Jesus, that's all. That's all we do. That's what we do to, to achieve. <laughs> that's what we do to be partakers of the divine nature. How could sinful people become partakers of God? Because God became a partaker of sinful human nature. He became a man and on the cross he took on us and he became sin. He became us so that we could become as God. That we could be that welcome, that received, 
that honoured in his house. Just to kind of perhaps bring a slightly trivial but, but Christmassy example or illustration, because it's on every year at Christmas, the, the movie Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory, which I'm sure is a huge favourite in this room. Maybe you've read the book or something, but, but just, it just occurs to me that, that basically, in case you don't know the story, very simply, it's a poor family with a little boy, Charlie Bucket, who comes home with the golden ticket to get into Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. And it's, that's the kind of rest of the story. And it, he ends up having the factory. It ends up being given to him. It's granted to him. He gets it. He, he's the one with the ticket. He's the lovely hero of the story. And he's kind of faultless. And there's nothing wrong with Charlie. He's blameless all the way through the story. He's got grandparents, four grandparents, uh, who are lazy, frankly. They, they lie around in bed for about 20 years, is the story. It's really weird. It's like just, the first, you read the first chapter, it's really weird. It's like, yeah, Grandpa Joe and Grandpa, Grandma Josephine and Grandpa George, Grandpa Georgina, they were basically bedridden and the daughter, their daughter, Charlie's mum, does all the work. And, uh, and they treat her like a slave. And they're supposed to, you're kind of supposed to like the grandparents. But as I got older, reading the book, I thought, I don't like them anymore. They're, they're not good. <laughs> Grandpa Joe is not a good guy. He kind of basically lies around, you know, claiming, you know, whatever it is he's doing. You know, somehow he's, he's surviving just by doing nothing. He's just lived in a kind of onesie for 20 years and a, and a, and a stupid bed cap. And, a, and, a, and then Charlie comes home one fateful day with the golden ticket. I've got the golden ticket. And suddenly Grandpa Joe can get up. <laughs> suddenly he's well. It's like, oh, I, I, you know, I feel my back's just improved recently. And he kind of gets out. He even sings a song as he gets out of bed and claims all this glory for himself. It's, it's, it's corrupt. Anyway, he does this. And, 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 uh, and the song is like, I've got a golden ticket. And you think, no, you haven't. Charlie has. It's nothing to do with you, you scoundrel. But he gets away with it. And everyone thinks he's kind of a nice old grandpa. He's not. But nevertheless, he gets in, he gets right in. He gets right in on the whole thing. At the very end of the story, when Gene Wilder gives the factory, or Willy Wonka gives the factory to the little boy, Grandpa Joe's in there with him. It's like, yeah, it's going to be ours. It's in the family. It's like, no, it's not. It's Charlie's. Doesn't matter. He's in on it. It's kind of like that. Simple as that. You and me, what are we? We're Grandpa Joe. That's who we are. <laughs> that's, that's our legacy, right? There's one that came through with the golden ticket, one perfect one, and we're joined to him. We go where he goes. We, we celebrate what he celebrates. We win what he wins by total grant, gift, grace. And it's, it's all that we can build our hopes on. And I say all of this, and Peter says all of this, so that whatever we aim for in life and in 2019, we aim for on the basis of this, that we know this. Now, some of you are thinking, when are you going to get to talk to us about thriving? <laughs> when are you going to talk to us about time management and, and doing stuff in 2019? When are you going to talk to us about actually doing something with our lives? If you really want, we'll get to that. But you, you may be the worst person to hear that right now. Because the, the, big, the biggest danger for you, my friend, this year is not that you don't fulfill your bucket list. It's not that you don't achieve all the wonderful things, all the goals that you're hoping 
for, all the resolutions that you want to set yourself, that's not the biggest danger at all. Biggest danger, surely, is to suppose for a moment that you can build your peace, your life, your destiny, your hopes on your own efforts, on your achievements, before yourself, before God, before other people. There's, there's, there's nothing there. There's nothing to be found there. Come back. Come back to Jesus Christ as the basis of your hope. Come back again to, to Jesus Christ and who he is and what he has done. At the start of the year, deliberately build your life on this. If you don't, you will come unstuck. You will go on a very slippery slope of, 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 of really self-righteousness and all of the dangers of that. You'll go from, from pride to misery, to pride to misery, to pride to misery. God's kindness to us is that we don't need to live in either of those places. We can actually live in a place of just knowing I'm in Christ, whatever my year is like, whether I achieve all my goals or not, I'm in Christ. Start there, start there. Just like Peter does, he starts there. But, 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 and there is a but, and you, this, is, this is what makes this a, an exciting passage at the start of the year. Peter then says something in verse 5 that shows us the other side of what Jesus has done for us as well. Helps us to follow through. He says it in verse 5, for all of the things I've just said, for this very reason, okay, because you got the golden ticket, because Charlie's got you in, because you're in, because of grace, because by grant, grace, gift, you have become a partaker of the divine nature. Because of that, verse 5, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. So I think if I wrote to Peter, I, I probably wouldn't have automatically gone there. I would have been too short-sighted. I would have thought, for this very reason, because you've arrived in Christ, relax. Don't make any effort. Never try anything again because you have everything you need and you can just relax. Your Christian life is all about just relaxing. Let go, let God, just relax. And I read this, I realize Peter's not going there. He's not playing that game at all. It's, it's, it's full of exhortation. It's full of agenda. It's kind of aggressive. It's a long list of things. You say, now make every effort to add this and this. Oh, and I did you tell you about this? And oh, and try some of this. And all these things are added to another. And if you read it without verses one to four, it could be pretty distressing. I would find it distressing. Think, oh, man, I thought, I thought we were free from the law. And now you're giving me a load of things I need to be watching and, and adding. And not just adding, but then he says later, if these qualities are yours in verse 8 and are increasing, not just having them, but having them more every day, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, 
we need to clarify this, don't we? Because this could definitely confuse us. I've just been giving you in the first half of the sermon a lot of reasons why we shouldn't have to feel any stress or pressure or need to strain any effort. And now Peter's seemingly writing a different letter all of a sudden in verse 5. It's like telling us to get sorted and take ourselves seriously and clean your room, as Jordan Peterson would say. He's, he's giving you all these kinds of, come sort your life out, take your life in order. And, and you think, well, how do these two things belong? I tell you, they frankly belong because Jesus hasn't only done stuff for you. He's done stuff in you. Please get that. Jesus hasn't just done stuff for you. He's done stuff in you. And the stuff he's done in you demands an outworking. It demands to be channeled. It demands to flourish and to thrive. Because if it doesn't, you will be perpetually frustrated. You will be constantly stuck in the middle. You can't be a completely lost sinner anymore. <laughs> Neither can you be a happy disciple anymore. You're kind of stuck just doing nothing. You are, I, I know Jesus has forgiven me. It's, it's good to, to know that at least I'm, I'm forgiven, but I'm, I'm never going to change. Come on, everyone knows what I'm like. I'm a total loser. I mean, I'm glad God accepts me, but I'm basically, that's basically, I, I will never be able to change anything in my life. It's impossible. It's impossible for me to change, for, for me to, to be fruitful, to be productive, to be effective, to, to be these things that, that I read. That's impossible for me. Peter would say the opposite. He'd say, no, for this very reason, because of what Jesus has done for you, make every effort. Because you're not what you were now. Jesus has worked within you. You are truly joined him. You've become a partaker of the divine nature. Jesus becoming human so that humans could become children of God. And we're joined with someone who is utterly focused, utterly thriving, utterly flourishing. That's who you're joined to. You ever met a married couple in your life? Where, where one of the, the, the spouses is an incredibly focused individual and the other one isn't naturally that way. And, and you might notice that over time they kind of, that they begin to have an impact on each other. And that's, that's maybe just an illustration of the, the, the one that's less focused becomes a bit more focused. Can't help it. You can't be married to someone without being affected by them. Well, the Bible says that our relationship to Christ is, is, is marriage at least. If you're a Christian, you are joined with him in that vital way. He lives within you. You live within him. It's, you, it's so richly organic that Jesus said things like, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Abide in me and I'll abide in you and you'll bear much fruit. For the Christian to not be fruitful is grotesque. It's weird, it's wrong, it's not, it doesn't work. It's like a, a branch in a tree where every other branch is just laying down with fruit. And there's just one branch that just refuses. There's no fruit whatsoever, it's just wood. And you think, what's wrong with that? That's just a freaky branch, weird branch. That's the point Jesus is making. You're the branch, you're the vine. Why would you not be fruit? 
But what we can easily do is, is submit instead to the lie, the lie that's probably gripping many of us in this room, and to some extent, probably all of us, that really our past, our, our kind of emotional makeup from the past, what we've inherited from family, what we've inherited from culture, especially the dark things we've inherited from our culture, the failings, the habits, the addictions, the hang-ups, those are the things that are most real about us. And this thing about me being a branch in the vine and a partaker of the divine nature and having everything I need for life and godliness through my knowledge of him, well, that's just fairy stories. I believe the bits about being forgiven, but I don't believe the bits about being changed. You can't do that, can you, really? Let's be honest. You can't do that with the Bible. Otherwise, otherwise why have you got any right to believe the bits about being forgiven? No, no, no. You must have all of Christ. If you want Jesus, take him for all he is. And I'll tell you who he is. He's the one who lives inside you. And as Paul says to the Philippians, he is working in you to will and to do his good pleasure. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling because God is at work in you. God is at work in you. So when you look at this year and you think, yeah, I'm never going to thrive. You know, just that picture of someone swimming in the winter. That's just freaking me out. I hate this whole thing. I, I don't want to thrive. And I'm, I'm not telling you you've all got to go swimming tomorrow. You hear my point. There's, there are thrivings, <laughs> callings that we could resist and and foolishly reject from our lives because we haven't understood that we are now indwelt by a person who is constantly bearing fruit. We are indwelt by a person who is, the Bible says, his eyes are fire. That's how passionate he is. Well, I'm just not a very passionate person. I, I I'm not really all that good at uh, really being disciplined and really focused in. I, I, you know, it says you make every effort. I don't even like the word effort. I hate that. No, I'm not into that. I'm afraid if you're a Christian, you haven't got any choice because there's someone living in you who, for whom the words effort and, and, and all these things, virtue and knowledge, they're, they're what he loves and what he wants to produce. And they will happen. And so, so Peter says, if, if you open up to him, if you, if you make every effort to be fulfilling the work that God wants to do in your life, you will be kept from being unproductive. You'll be kept from it. Frankly, that, that's, that is extremely encouraging because a Christian who's not productive, a Christian who's not fruitful, who's not effective, will often feel discouraged and depressed. God's will for us is that we don't live there. God's will for us is that we become more fruitful. And that will look like several things. Let me just finish by mentioning what it will look like. First of all, it will look like focus, real focus. Yeah, you don't need necessarily the Bible to tell you this because it's, it's common sense. Anyone who does teach stuff about time management will say the key thing is focusing. The key thing is prioritizing, is deciding what is the thing that you must do. And that's quite right. The Bible would say just the same. What, what is the thing? Jesus was like, seek 
first, the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. See, the world comes at you with thousands, trillions of options, day by day, week by week. You're constantly aware of the things that you could do. You could do this, you could do that, you could do many, many things. There's so many things you could do. There may even be many, many things that you feel you ought to do. I really ought to do this. I really ought to do that. I really ought to do the other. You know, Jesus, if he lives in you, will always be drawing you back, not to what you could do or what you ought to do, but what you must do. There's a must in the heart of Jesus. I must be about my father's business. That was, that was one of his famous statements. I must be about my father's business. He was totally dominated by a passion to make his life count and to do the very clear, particular, priority things that God had called him to do. He was like that. It shocked people. Even his friends, even his dear friends were sometimes a little bit put out by him because they would, they would be being all chummy with him and they'd say, no, we're not doing that, we're doing this. What? Oh, I thought we were, I thought we were hanging out. No, I'm focused. This is what I want to do with my life. This is what I'm here for. Life's too short. We're not wasting time. We're doing something. We're going somewhere. Life is way too short. And, and friends, the way that we, we live as Christians will be affected by the, the Jesus who lives within us, who's always saying, there are some musts. And it, it's, it's actually liberating. It's not law. It's not, it's not that you really ought to do these things. Oh, I think you should ought to, ought to, ought to, ought to, ought to. If your life is controlled by ought to's, Get to know Jesus. He doesn't come saying, you, here's the list of things you really ought to do. He will come to you saying, here's the thing that you must do. And frankly, to do the thing you must do will, will mean letting go of some things that you apparently ought to do. Yeah, you can. You've got full permission. If Jesus has called you, if Jesus has spoken, if Jesus calls you to do stuff, and it actually means that you have to drop some things that he hasn't called you to do, drop them. <laughs> drop them now. Leave them behind today. Leave them in your chair when you leave. Things that you, 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 other people put pressure on you to do. Whoever they are, however important they are. Some of you, you're tied up with doing stuff. This, I really ought to do this, 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 and this. And it will strangle you, suffocate you, stop you from doing the very things he has called you to do. Anyone who's got to know Jesus will tell you, he is focused. And the more I get to know him, the more I realize I need to be focused. I need to prepare to sometimes put things out of my life. Even good, I'm not just talking about obvious sins. I'm talking about sometimes good stuff. But good stuff can be distracting from God's stuff. The real stuff that the must that my life has been given me to do. Maybe you're thinking, well, I don't even know what my musts are. What am, I, what, what am I supposed to do with my life? Well, for a start, come to two weeks of prayer. You might find out. Seek God. This may be, these two weeks may be the key time in your life where you press into God and hear him speak to you about some destiny for your life. Some of you, you've got, you've got things foreordained, works, tasks, foreordained that you might walk in them, as Paul says in Ephesians 2, and you never even thought of what they might be. 
things that God wants to do in you and through you. It's, fine. it's, 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 it's worth finding that out, isn't it? Find out, God, what do you want for me? What do you want me to achieve for you? And then God, help me to put aside things that are just pressures and things that I feel I, I feel obliged to, but they're not even the right thing for me. They're not even the thing I'm called to do. And for, and for sure, let me therefore kill off any kind of time thief that is draining away my life. And you'll know that. When you discover the musts, when you discover the priorities that Jesus wants you to live by, when you discover a sense of calling and destiny, when you run with that and ride with that, actually you become less and less patient with some of the time thieves that can clutter up your life. The fact that so many of us can spend hours on social media, hours just on angry birds, let alone social media, just on on what we know is trivial. And we'll even try and make a, a reason for it. We'll even say, yeah, but this is good. This is a good thing for me to do. It's good for me to spend a couple more hours on Facebook or even an hour on Facebook because it's good. It's friendship. It's communion. It's good. It's nice. It's I'm, I'm sure you can make an argument for almost anything, right? You can. You can make an argument for two hours on Angry Birds if you must. If you're forced to, you'll make an argument for it. But the fact you're having to make an argument for it with your own conscience is not a good sign. How about a must in your life? How about a mentality of, why would I want to do that? I, want, I've got a, I haven't got time. <laughs> I've been called to be a partaker of the divine nature. Jesus rose from the dead. And I rose up with him. I'm going to live. This is is amazing. I've escaped the corruption that is in the world because of evil desire. I've escaped all of that rubbish so that I can live fully, so I can devote my life wholeheartedly, so I can redeem every hour God gives me. Yeah, get some rest. Get real rest, though. Stuff that does your soul good. Stop and Sabbath and rest by all means. In fact, if you don't, you're you're commanded to. You need to rest. But friends, let it be real rest that comes from having actually devoted energy and time to the things that you must do. You must do. There are things, honestly, if we, everyone in Emmanuel, if everyone in every site in this church got in touch with the musts in their life, and like Paul says in Philippians 3, took hold of that for which God took hold of us. This city would be impacted. It would. But if we spend our lives just drifting through, drifting through and then dying and going to heaven, that's nice, it's good. But there's something. There is a that, there is a must for which God took hold of you. Find out what it is. Pursue him. Seek him. Pursue it wholeheartedly. Let's pray. God, we, we want to respond to this invitation for this year. We want to ask you, please help us, Lord, to be earnest, to be urgent, to use the time you've given us fruitfully. Help us, God. Help us to stand strong in the, 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 the truly liberating 
work of Christ, who's done everything for us to be secure, so that we can partake of divine nature, that we can enjoy the great and precious promises. But Lord, also, we, we, we want to make every effort to press in and not be unproductive and unfruitful with the time you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Let's stand together. While we're standing, let me just say, we're going to take communion right now. This is an opportunity to come to the table and take bread and wine mm. and to celebrate what Jesus has achieved for us. Celebrate his finished work and enjoy it and rest in it. But, but as we do it, to consider the year ahead and say, God, you've given yourself for me. Help me to, to see what you could do through my life as I yield to you this year. And listen, it may be that you're not sure yourself whether you should take communion because you're thinking, I don't know if I'm a Christian. I don't know if I, if I have a relationship with Jesus or not. We would love to help you with that. If you'd like to come and talk with us, Come and talk to me. I would be really glad to pray with you or talk with you. There'll be others at the tables where communion is to be served um, who will love to pray with you. They've got badges on. They'll talk and explain and pray with you. We want to serve you and help you to connect with Jesus for yourself.